Welcome back to the Powder Coater Podcast. And I have to say, it's good to be back. After my co-host husband, Ross, got into a serious motorcycle accident in May, we decided to take a break from production over the summer to focus on getting him healed and back to work. He's improved a lot and found some new perspectives along the way. Also, I would like to announce that this is our 50th podcast interview. We are so grateful for your continued listenership and support of the show. Now, on to the show. Remember when you first started dreaming of your very own powder coater shop with all your ideal equipment? You know, before you started putting pen to paper and adding up all those costs, chances are you landed on this next guest's website and went to bed dreaming of your perfect blast setup. Today, Brandon Acker, president of Titan Abrasive, is here to talk about blasting, specifically reclaim systems. Perhaps your dreams could be in reach. In this topic not discussed before, I am excited to get into it. Get ready to level up your powder coater game. Welcome to Ross Coates Powder Coater Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Scott, where we interview influencers and talk about trending topics so you can grow your powder coating biz. Today's guest is Brandon Acker, president of Titan Abrasives, <laughs> is here to talk about the overlooked aspect of reclaiming your abrasive blasting setup and the importance of media reclaim systems in your entire blasting operation. Brandon, can you hear me? Yeah, <laughs> Welcome to the show. Thank you. How's everything in Hawaii? <laughs> it looks like you could be in Hawaii right now. I love it. Uh, thanks for the genuine welcome <laughs> of aloha. So you've been to Maui, right? I have been to Maui before. Yes, a couple of times. Yep, wonderful place. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, right relaxing. now, where are you based out of, where's Titan based out of, where's your offices right now? We're in Pennsylvania. We're in a town called Warminster, just on outside of Philadelphia. Oh, outside awesome. Yep. And a little, um, little different than Maui. <laughs> yes. We were just talking actually. about the weather just a little few minutes ago. So I'm going to share my screen because we're going to talk about a lot of things today. But I want to start with the history of Titan Abrasives. But before we do that, I want to share something with you. It's Ross's story. So back in the day when Ross was dreaming about having a powder coating company and what equipment and how it was going to look and how he was going to work and stuff like that. One of the first websites he ever went to was yours. Wow. I know. And I'm wondering how many other guys out there or gals, when they're thinking about what the dream is or fulfilling that dream, who is included or what equipment companies are included. And I'm wondering how many other guys were in the same situation as Ross was all those years ago, just dreaming about the perfect uh, 
blast setup or the perfect equipment or the perfect blast booth. I don't think they were thinking about reclaim systems, but they were probably just thinking about just how easy it would be to have something like that. So I just wanted to share that you are part of people's dreams. Um, oh, and I don't wow. know if, it, <laughs> if that makes at least part of his dream, really but cool. it's just a perspective that I think you may not have thought about before until just now. <laughs> no, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> so let me share my screen here. There we go. And now I can see that beautiful website. You guys have a great website. I love this. So mm -hmm. easy to read. And over here on the bout, you have a company history. And I just love it. Humble beginnings. We all seem to start there all the time. And just look how tiny that little place yep. is. <laughs> and 1953, that was a long time ago. That so tell me more about ago. how it all got started and who started it and stuff like that. How are you involved? So we did start back in 1953, be before my time. It was my uncle. It's my uncle who started it. At that time, it wasn't big into the I don't think powder coating didn't exist. The blasting industry was different. There weren't big blast rooms and cabinets. It was kind of like portable blasters, just the pot that people would take outside and blast something. It was you know, much different. Safety concerns weren't there back then. The machines were different. They didn't even have remote shutoffs. It was just a guy used to stand by the tank and yell at the other guy, turn it on, shut it off, refill it. Yeah, it was yeah, a while back, things were different. And it just, over the years, grew. My uncle went from those portables and then over the years started getting into some cabinets, making some blast cabinets with the gloves that you put your hand in for small parts. And it wasn't until probably the last 20 years or so that we've really got bigger and into more larger equipment, blast rooms. Back when he was, we did a lot with more even consumer stuff, more consumer-based, smaller jobs, farm. A lot of people would just come in and pick up machines. They were much less expensive than our systems are now. And just over the years, we've grown into more industrial. So that's taking you back. It's probably 80s. Yeah, you can tell just by the photo. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. You can see the helmets in there. It's they all were really old. almost look like you should be on the bottom of the ocean in one of those helmets. <laughs> a real yeah. picture, not yeah. like something you held in your hand, not your digital picture. Yeah. Yes, that was not taken with someone's smartphone. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's yep. no machines, no filter needed, right? No, yeah. no age yep. filter needed. <laughs> and what were they what were they blasting? back in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Is it the same stuff we're blasting today? Yeah, pretty much the same things. Anything that move into coating off of something, any rusty steel, cars, trucks, tractors, in industry they used them. We still do some with consumers, which it's a lot of farmers are blasting yeah. their old tractors or farm equipment and implements that get anything that gets rusty over time, trying to preserve it, get it to last longer. Automobiles, even back then, cars were, I think, easier to blast back then because they were nice, thick steel. Ah. <laughs> you didn't have to worry about warping them like you do today. But yeah, a lot of the same things. The machines for the, are very, those are just portable, like the pressure vessels that you see, the blast machine. They're uh -huh. really similar to what they are now. The tank yeah. is pretty much the tank. Even our valves back then are not far off from what our valves are today. We had a good design on the valves then, and we've tweaked it a little bit, but uh, but stuck with it because it's a kind of a bulletproof valve. It yeah. served us well over the years. So it's, if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of thing. Right. Just kept going. And it was... That was probably our second building back then that we were in front of there, which wasn't too far 
from here. We had moved at one point into central Pennsylvania, into a larger facility over the years. And until 2013, I ended up purchasing the company from my uncle and moving it back to, down to where we are now. Where's the part about, you had a page about, I can't find it now, like company history. I think that's where we're at, but don't you have a part where you're, it's like people, oh, here's your sophisticated stuff here. That's yep. So big difference, big difference yeah. from, from back where we were in a shed. We did not have any lasers in that shed. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> we're, I wouldn't have thought it either 20 years ago that where we'd be today and just the advancement of not just us, but manufacturing in general to where we went from old school making things to now we're doing things in 3D models. Yeah. We have machines that are designed in SolidWorks that are a 3D model. You pretty much see what it's going to look like before it even exists, which is just, it's amazing. That um, is amazing. Now having our, the, the quality of the equipment, you're now making things on lasers and structural lasers that can cut tube and it's just really made uh, it's taken us to another level the equipment and the programs and the 3d but to allow us to make a much much better quality product and the precisions there it cuts the welding everything is much cleaner our stuff is all powder coated now which we used to wet paint <laughs> things when they were red now when they transitioned to silver we changed our color on our equipment and now it's all powder coat silver and black powder coating which we love very durable goes yeah. good with blasting the only right. people who don't like it are people trying to remove that powder coat. The blasting <laughs> plays a role and we get it like, ah, it's the powder coat takes forever to get it off. But yep, that's the point of it. <laughs> yeah. And you're obviously you said you took it over from your uncle, but your wife's involved too. Is she not? You're a family run business. It's a family run business. Yes. My, my wife's involved. My, my wife is a native of Costa Rica. So Spanish is her first language and she handles all of our Latin American sales. We do quite a bit in, in Mexico and trying to spread further and further. She's helped yeah. me in, into Latin America. That's, um, awesome. so that, that, that's a big role. I know all of our uh, Spanish speaking customers re really enjoy being able to speak to someone in their native language, especially with the equipment's very tricky than just, you can't even Google, uh, Google translate that because it doesn't, what people call things and the terminology is completely different. So it's very, uh, she plays a big role in being able to you know, get that, our message across to our Spanish customers. Yeah, that's great. So let's talk about some of the finer points to reclaiming. Cause that's, we've on the podcast here, we've had some crossover topics here. Like the first one I had was on the different types of media and why you want to use them versus another another show we did was on CFM and having the enough power and circulation in mm -hmm. your blast booth and how like the formula behind making sure that it's safe for you while you're in there. I think we another crossover show we did was with GMA Garnet, where they were talking about OSHA regulations, specifically mm -hmm. the new beryllium laws or rules that came into mm -hmm. effect. And that was episode 36 with them. And it's a really good show and kind of talks about the safety, some more of the stuff we don't want to talk about, uh -huh. talk about it in a <laughs> light format. But I think in all of the shows, and like I said, I disclaimed to you before we started that, like, in terms of I've never been in a blast room, I've never been in a suit, but I have learned and have concluded that when custom coders are getting started with their business or growing their business, mm -hmm. it seems blasting seems to be 
it's it's not overlooked. They know they need something, but I don't necessarily think they get exactly what they need in terms of safety is the priority and also the costing, right? Of how much does it cost to blast something in their business model and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then you brought up the topic of reclaiming, which I hadn't even thought of. So I'm really excited today to talk about this because it's not a subject that we've talked about yet, but I have concluded that most custom coders don't have the level of capabilities that they need when they're constantly growing all the time. It's like Mm -hmm. they need something bigger, better, whatever. I know that's been the struggle for us. So let's talk about that. And I think one of the first things we could talk about is what is media reclaim system? What is it? And in the blasting operation, just in general, what's the basics here? Okay. And it is something that is blasting in general, I think is something that's overlooked. People know they do it, but it gets little attention, but it should. And it it is a key because it's your underlying, it's the base. If you don't have that proper surface preparation. Yeah. You're, it could ruin your coding and that's what you're, what you're known for your coding. And you don't want that to right. fail because of something that was overlooked. So in, in the reclaim systems that they're one also that's overlooked because people are like, okay, I need to blast. So I need a blast machine. I need something to contain it. Let's put it in a room. And they often overlook that reclaiming that media. Some people don't realize you can do it. That as you said, you had a show before on different types of media, some can be reclaimed, some cannot. And it's a that's really going to do two things. It's going to help you save your money, recoup your money back by reusing that media and over again. You get into better quality medias when you're reclaiming them. They're a harder recoverable media. So they're not as dusty. They last longer. You, when you clean them, you're now using, it's almost like using new media all the time because it's constantly cleaning that media. So it does a better job when you're profiling, when you're blasting the steel, it's going to do a much better job than trying to keep use that product again if it's dusty or dirty, now you're in a real bad situation where like, we've had plenty of customers that, oh, I reclaim it, meaning they they sweep it up, shovel it and put it back in the blaster. Sometimes it's even people that are reclaiming coal slag or sand that are thinking they're reclaiming it, but you're really reclaiming it's 10% media, it's 90% dust. So then they're right. like, oh yeah, it took me 10 minutes to blast that. Then the second time took me 45 minutes. The third time took two hours. And you're like, yeah, that's not, it's not productive. You think it's working, but it's just, it's not very productive. You, right. you want to get that reclaim it. So it's like almost like new media all the time. So you get that production and get the value out of it where time is money and you want to get that blasted properly and get it out. That dusty, dirty media is just not, it's not going to cut. It's not. And it disintegrates the more you reuse it, that hence the longer it takes you. It's just this decline that happens. And on top of that, you're already throwing in particulates that are paint and everything else that Mm -hmm. came off of the part. So you're adding that to the mix. And I, Yeah, we do pretty well here. We use Garnet and usually about seven or eight times, like it's time to, but he is doing the sweep up method. And I do have a question I want to call when we get further down into the interview about some of that kind of stuff. But, but you're talking about a system that sits outside of the blast room. Are you not? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. The equipment's outside and then there's some sort of trough, hopper, auger, something inside the blast room that's going to collect that media and get it to the outside, to the recovery system on the outside. So you really don't see much of it inside the blast room, all the equipment sitting on the outside. Yeah. And it can get really dusty. 
in general. You have to have this classroom that's just like practically a hyperbaric chamber in a sense, <laughs> nothing leaking out and stuff, which is hard. You have to construct it right and stuff like that. What are the different kinds of systems that you offer in terms of like when I've seen, I went over to, to the main island, which is Oahu. And when I was looking at a reclaim system back way long time ago, it was a used system. I don't know what brand, who knows, but he was just showing me this one and it was really expensive. And it was really old and clunky looking. It was huge. And I'm like, how am I going to fit this in my shop? I guess that's, are there different sizes based on the size of your blast room? How do you figure that out? There are different sizes. You have two, two main systems that you break it into a pneumatic or vacuum recovery system and your mechanical recovery system. Your, your vacuums tend to work best with lighter medias, glass bead, plastic, finer aluminum oxides that you can recover in there. Your mechanical systems are more geared for heavier medias, steel grit, steel shot. You can use aluminum oxide. They'll reclaim anything. Either system will work. Mechanical is going to be a much faster system. So if you're a high production shop, you need to get it in and out. You're blasting a lot all day long. You probably want to lean towards that mechanical system that it can keep up. They can just recover a lot more media in a quicker amount of time that you don't have to stop and do that. Vacuum systems are a little slower. You have to baby them a little. You're sweeping media into the hopper and it has to suck it up. It has to clean it right. as well. So it's not, people think vacuum like, oh, it's like this huge industrial right. shot back. Like, oh, it's just going <laughs> to suck it all up. It, 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 they don't really work quite like that because right. it's, they miss that process of it. There's a big cyclone on there. So it's sucking it up, but then it has to clean it as well. It's got to go around right. the cyclone, clean it and put it back in the blast machine, remove the fines. And in order to feed that with a vacuum, it can't just oh, take this huge load. So our, our, our troughs and hoppers are all designed to slowly feed that. It's more kind of like an hourglass where that sand just like slowly feeds into that airstream so it can recover, yeah, okay. which works great in a if you're not real high production, some people are, you're just blasting in a couple hours a day or just a couple days a week. A, a vacuum system will serve you fine. It's a little less expensive as well. Fair, fairly easy to maintain. Coarser media is aluminum oxide, something harsh. You probably want to look at like rubber lining it just to prolong the lifespan of it. A mechanical systems too, not real maintenance intense, but if you're going to be blasting every day, we obviously have a full range of people that blast a couple hours, a couple times a week to companies that are blasting two shifts, six days a week. So they almost don't stop the machine. Right. So it's you a need to factor in what's going to fit into your shop, your budget, right. and in, in meet your needs. And you don't want to go shoot for the moon and get some ridiculous system you don't need. And you don't want to cut yourself short either. Put yeah. money in that can't keep up because some things can right. be upgraded, some can't. You don't want right. to waste that money on a system that's not really going to get you what you were looking for. And are the vacuum systems, they come either in, a, you can get a blast cabinet that's a vacuum blast cabinet, but you can also get a vacuum in the booth itself. In the big room. Uh -huh. okay. And they're, they're the same. It's really size. Like a blast cabinet and a blast room are the same thing. They're just different sizes. Obviously the cabinet, you have the advantage of you're standing on the outside of it, putting your hands right. in gloves. So you don't have to suit up. You don't have to go in there. It's cleaner environment because you're on the outside, but you're just doing smaller parts in there. Yeah. But it's the same, your cabinets, your enclosure containing the mess. And then you have your reclaim system and blast equipment, which is vacuum. It's sucking that media off the, out of the bottom of the cabinet into the cyclone, cleaning it, putting it back in the blaster. So you just continue a loop. You can just keep blasting. Yeah. Blast room, very similar, just obviously much larger. 
So their enclosures get much larger. The blast equipment, the blast machine gets larger. The vacuums are a little bit larger, but same principle. You just have a big floor hopper that you'd sweep media into and it would vacuum it up just like the cabinet is vacuuming off the bottom. You would just physically have to move that material into that hopper for it to suck it up and clean it. And then it's going back into the blast machine and you're ready to go again. Very similar to a cabinet. Yeah. And right now we have a 300 pound pot that we've been using for years and you can only blast for what, 20 minutes or so, or Mm -hmm. I think it's something like that. And then you have to scoop it all up. And it's always been Ross's wish to have a 600 pound pot, which, you know, it's expensive, not that we can't afford it, but just he's realizing now with the 600 pound pot, the 600 pound pots are higher or the height of them are a little worse right now it's just Mm -hmm. right at his thigh and he can just do it and pour it in and then but with the 600 one it's like at chest height and so Uh he's I have to lift this huge five pound five gallon bucket into right yep much higher a lot more labor (laughs) yeah and so what good is that for me it's just going to make it harder for me and strain me even more when I do Mm -hmm. it can last longer blasting and stuff to 40 minutes to an hour but yeah it's he's not too sure about that and that's where he's now thinking okay if I get a 600 pound pot I can put it on the outside of the booth and then have a reclaim system hopefully Mm -hmm. something that you know how with that in mind now our booth is he said it's 20 by 10 why eight feet high and things are getting tight in the shop now because we've added some other stripping equipment now or we're about ready to and so we're running out of space how big is would something how big of a system would we need for something like that for that size booth or how do you figure that out i guess um, it's footprint wise you're still you're going to have your blast machine sitting out there which sometimes on smaller rooms they can be a three 300 pound or three cubic foot machine. That's actually what we use on our glass cabinets is a three cubic foot machine. Usually they're a six on a room or even a 10, 10 cubic foot or thousand pound machine. So you have the diameter of the machine sitting there. You have a hopper on top of it, a reclaim cyclone can be on right. top of that. So it try, most of the stuff, we try to keep everything in a stack. We realize that right. usually for most people, height's never the problem. Right. No one wants to give up floor space. We always yeah. try to condense stuff as much as we can and say, hey, we can go up. Usually people don't have a problem with that, but try not to spread it out. So if you have your blast machine there, most of it's stacking on top in a vacuum system, and then you'd have a small dust collector. Our collect- our small dust collector is pretty thin. It's about two feet wide. So you'd probably be looking at sticking out the side off your room, maybe three or four feet that equipment's okay. going to be. So if yeah. you took a, maybe a four by six square, you know, off that side of that room, you could fit a recovery system in there. Um, Similar with mechanical and your basic mechanical that has like a bucket elevator, that bucket elevator is pretty thin, tall, but pretty thin. That's going to sit next to the machine, air wash, everything's up in the air and then dumping into it. So you have a similar size footprint. You could fit that in. Gets a little larger if you're putting that elevator like in a pit, then you have a right. pit sticking out in the floor. But again, that would only be a high production application where you're, right. you want that ease of sweeping yeah. into a pit rather than having to do shoveling or right. It. But most people in a, a smaller side job shops and all, you get a vacuum system. Yeah, you're probably in a, assume like a four feet out off the room, six feet circle you can put it in. Right. They can be positioned in different areas too, behind 
Usually you're keeping that hopper towards the back of the room, keep the mess back that way. You know, blasting right. usually is trying to blast towards the back of the room rather than your product entry doors, sweeping everything, blowing it towards the back. Then usually you want that hopper in a, one of the back corners. Equipment can sit on like the side of the room or behind it. A little flexibility on where it goes. Yeah. But what, so for something like that, what would be the electrical, basic electrical requirements? Do you have, uh, he was thinking at least a hundred amps. Oh no, they're, they're small on our small collector that would power a vacuum system is a, like a 1200 CFM uh, blower on there. So you have mm-hmm. five horsepower motor. Okay. So really, oh, uh, not, not no, as big. No, okay. Not big at all. Yeah. No, okay. That's... Be, usually you're going to be three phase. If you're yeah. single phase, you got to be at least 230 volt for the larger, for the five horsepower. If you're three phase, yeah, it's very little. Oh, light. that's less, yeah. much less than I thought it would oh, be. Much less. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're, you're and so if you were to build your own blast cabinet or blast room, this is something that you could add after yes. the fact, right? You yep. could upgrade or whatever, certainly. but you sell blast rooms in your Correct. product yep. line. Um, yeah. You sell the whole system. What are some of the best features of those pre-made ones that you make and sell? Is there lighting that makes it different? Or is there, what are the, some of the features are, or is it just basically a metal room? It is a metal room. Your, your whole objective of that room is to enclose the mess. So yeah, very common are people using like Connex boxes or like CC containers, shipping containers into rooms. Yeah. Pretty thick steel. It's a very, very common thing to do. On our rooms, they're galvanized steel that we make them out of. Our rooms all feature an, an I-beam support structure. So they're really heavy duty. Lighting yeah. is all LED lighting in there. So we, they're really bright. A key on that enclosure is your airflow, your inlets right. and your outlets, sizing everything. It's where you get the whole point of the room is to get that kind of get perfect environment out. you're in, get the dust out of there, being able to see what you're doing, which involves good <laughs> lighting and getting rid of the dust. And if you don't have that right airflow, cross flow through that room, you're not going to get that regardless of your dust collector, or you'll have too big or too small of inlets and outlets. So then you're changing that are you positive or negative pressure in the room. If you're positive, more like a, less like a paint booth and you're in there blasting, you're going to have media coming out of the room, which you, right. you don't want. You want to yeah. make sure that's under certain amount of negative pressure that, that, that keeps the mess inside, keeps the doors shut and sealed and everything's flowing. If you get too much on that negative pressure, you, you won't be able to get out of the room if the collector's on. You're trying to push your way out the door. So yeah, there's some of the features of ours. It's all engineered to work as a system. So you don't have to worry. It's well lit. We're going to have the right inlets and outlets. The flow is going to be right in there for you. So you'll pretty much have a plug and play system to get up. You won't be messing with all the intricacies that can get involved in airflows and And you can get to the work faster and hopefully have less time in there. The whole point (laughs) is to have the least amount of time in there. The significance of powder coaters is just that it's all about the coating, but really we are talking about prep and getting to that white metal level to where it makes the powder coating easier. And so it's just this such a hard balance to attain. There's getting the part ready enough to where it makes the powder coating part of it easier, where you're having less outgassing or less finish issues and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. But how do most of your customers, assuming that they have employees, what are some of the concerns that they come to you with 
in terms of making sure that they're, now I'm hoping they're coming to you to make sure that they're, <laughs> you're helping them make sure that their employees are staying healthy. And, mm-hmm. and what are some of the concerns that they come to you with? It's a wide range, depending on those customers, the size of them, as we've grown over the years, so has our customer. So we have the full gamut of the small kind of job shop powder coaters up to big aerospace companies, the government, the military right. that's putting in these huge rooms that have big budgets and are just cranking stuff through there. Doors on both ends. So it's like an assembly line just going through there. The bigger ones concern, but everyone seems to be about that productivity. Let's get it, get it in, get it out. Everybody wants that guy that we get the call. How how big of a storage hopper can I have? I want that media in there that how long will it last? And like, what, six cubic foot pot? You're going to get 45 minutes. No, I want it just so that guy can be in there all day blasting. (laughs) Okay. You've never been in a blast room (laughs) in there for eight hours straight. That's not going to happen. So we always try to encourage people and try to make it. I think that's one of our advantages. We're blasters. We make the equipment, but we do the blasting too. Our guys are. So we're always keeping them in mind, designing the stuff that can, that's going to help them make that. It's not the most fun job in the world being a blaster. So we're always keep that in mind. How can we make them safe? How can we make it easier for them? So it, it's not as strenuous in there. Right. Recovering of the media. Can they get in and out of the room, take a break? The, the Operator safety equipment, we try to always source the the best, most comfortable helmets we can and keep that for everyone. So it it does play. Smaller people seem to be a little more concerned because they, I think they have a more of a personal relationship with their employees and the people blasting in there. So they want to make sure they're safe. They're going to hear about it. You get, whereas the big company, the guy complaining who's doing the blasting, it it never reaches that guy at the top who made the decision to buy it. It's true. Yeah. (laughs) They just, there's that disconnect there. So we try to encourage that and keep everybody happy, healthy, and safe and make the job so as, as easy as possible. On these systems, and we probably should hop over to your website again, just mm-hmm. to see the product line, but it, what's the general maintenance that you and upkeep you have to do with these systems once they get installed? Does it vary by the size or the type and stuff? Yeah, it varies a little. There's not recovery systems aren't real maintenance intense. If you have a big system where you have like augers in the floor that are conveying that media going from one auger or a full floor that's augers, that's just automated. The media is falling in recovering. They they get a little more maintenance because you you have more moving parts. You have big augers, hanger bearings in there that have to be maintained. The basic system, bucket elevators, pretty, they're pretty bulletproof. maintaining them. You got to keep tension on the belts. Sometimes the belts can wear out over time if you're using them a lot. That's your main replacement item is the belt on that elevator. Vacuum systems, low maintenance on those, as long as you just keep on remembering that that Whenever that media is getting vacuumed up, it's just like blasting. You have to remember what happens when you blast something. If you're holding that blast nozzle against steel that's covered in paint and all of a sudden that paint disappears and it looks like brand new steel, it's pretty aggressive in what it's doing. So it's right. doing the same thing on the inside, what you don't see. When you're vacuuming it up, even though it's, it's less pressure, it's not coming out of, under compressed air. So there's not that pressure, but it's still vacuuming up. You still have that media flowing through. Anywhere media flows through, it's going to create wear. And that's why rubber lining stuff will help. Mm-hmm. Our floor troughs all have urethane, urethane line, urethane tubes in there that, that last really long. So we try to design for that, but you just got to keep on those wear items anywhere that media is going to enter in there or it's in that kind of vacuum or blast stream is where your wear is going to happen. The systems itself though are fair, fairly low maintenance. 
Um, you're probably going to have more maintenance on the actual blaster itself. The valves where that media is going through, your hoses, your nozzles will wear more than the reclaim systems. When they have dust collection on them, the vacuum, you have your dust collector maintenance, pretty much just changing, uh, changing out filters. Our, our systems are all reverse pulse. All our, our collectors, our large ones on our room, our small ones on our reclaim systems all have cartridges. The small reclaimer is just two cartridge collector it has a pulse system, reverse pulse system on it. So it's cleaning them. You're pretty much just change, changing the filters, depending on how long you use it, how often you use it, six months, a year, change the filters. Pretty, pretty simple. 10 minutes maybe to swap them out. Yeah, so let's not, head not, over not to your bad. site because right now I'm on your... This is what we're talking about, yep. the medium reclaim systems. Yep. And this is awesome. This one here, I'm not sure which one. This is what Ross wanted me to ask. That's the bucket you. elevator. Yeah. Uh -huh. So right here is where you dump it and then it travels up here. Yep. And then it dumps. That's a little air wash at the top. And then it's mm -hmm. dumping back into that blast machine, into the hopper on top and refilling that machine. Those are yeah. six cubic foot pressure vessels or 600 pound. Just right. Giving an idea size wise. So is the vacuum one that also is a this one yep, here. Yep. So also it, is a 600 pound. So if I click on that, it'll take me to more options here or just more, more about options. this system. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And you have that kind of big dustpan looking thing in the front is your floor. Yep. There's your right. floor trough. You can see there's a, a tube inside of that that you're sweeping into, and yeah. then it comes out that side into and an elbow. All up. that's yellow, all urethane. It doesn't wear very Often. Right. Doesn't uh, clog. Doesn't clog. Stuff. We have yeah. we drill the holes in those urethane tubes to certain sizes and quantities depending on the media you're using, so that it keeps that. Even if you tend to dump it on there, it tends to just. We always try to slow that down. Put the holes in so you can't overload it. Yeah. You don't have to sweep some stuff on there. The worst thing people do is put it on there and leave, or put it on there and either shut it off. Or they pile it on there and then go turn it on. Okay. And if it's feeding in there, it's already clogging it up. And then yeah. you're trying to turn it on. No, it's not working. Yeah, because now it's all clogged. Now you have to yeah. take it all out. And you want it up and running and have to gradually feed it. Yeah. Okay. This isn't too bad. Your packages can get, because you're doing your bundling, your reclaim, and the booth, and mm -hmm. all of that, too, with it. And you can finance. Oh, wow, that's yeah. cool. I like that, which I think is a reasonable start for a very small starter kind of company or growth of somebody that's in. Because you eventually, if you get big enough, you're going to want to go get another one. And you can maybe resell it on the to yeah. someone else when you're ready to. So it's great that you have all this. This is a really great starter model here. And, and so you would know, like, would something like this work for us with the size? If you tell them this is the size of my booth and you would be able to determine which one would be the best system for them. Yep. And it's not so much geared on the size of that booth as much as like your production volume, how mm -hmm. much you're going to be blasting and what kind of media you're going to be using into how heavy the media is and how fast you want to recover that media. It's going to determine which system size. It's pretty much the blast machine on there can be a couple different sizes. And then the, the mechanical systems just get size-wise, they're similar size. It's just adding on components like the augers, right. doing making a full floor, which not necessarily, I guess the system's getting bigger, but not taking up any more space because it's going in your the floor of your blast room. Mm -hmm. Takes more work to put it in the concrete, but not too not really any additional space, but will get pretty expensive. 
Pool right. systems, augers in the floor get, get fairly expensive fairly quickly. It doesn't include the pot in this one here, right? That one does. That does have a six cubic foot or 600 pound blaster. Yep, okay. the hopper, the cyclone. That one does not include the our small dust collector that powers it. Uh -huh. You have an existing room, depending on the dust collection system as a budget model way to do it, you can tie that vacuum system into your main dust collector. And we even sell, we call it a trap door, like in the room, that would be a block off that you would shut that off. So then you're diverting power from your main dust collector to the floor trough. So then you can reclaim. So you're doing one or the other, you're blasting or you're reclaiming. Just an economical way to, to get started into something. The ideal way would be to have a small dust collector. So the reclaim system was separate and powered itself. It is possible to tie them in. Yeah. Yeah, this is awesome. And I love it. You just keep it real simple on the website. So you're not all over the place. You can see what it is that you have here and you sell it individually as well. And you can reorder parts um, you can order and stuff right like online that. At any, yeah. anytime. You can order parts and look them up. We did that mainly as a convenience that people are, people are busy. You're not always ordering your parts in, in taking a break and doing it in a day. This way, if you're running your business, you can do it at night. Some people yeah. we get orders coming in at two o'clock in the morning. This way it enables having a parts store, lets people buy parts. Anytime. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see them. You can see wow. the stuff, pictures. That's a mechanical reclaim system. Wow. Those are, that's a bucket elevator, feeding a pot. That's on a, obviously a much larger room. It's probably about a 50 foot room. And these are the lights you can see. Oh, yeah, look at that. That's not really taking up that much space. That's it's, amazing. It's not a tremendous amount of space. No, that one's even smaller. You're almost like a four by four cube that you could fit that in. It's mainly the height. So that right. elevator is tall. Gets a little shorter if you drop it down into a pit. If you're wanting to put a pit in, but the pit gets a pit gets a decent size. It's got to go into the room so that the hopper can be floor grade. So you're just pushing it in there rather than having to shovel. But then that pit's coming out of the room and it's got to be the elevator itself has to go in the room. The blast machine doesn't, but the elevator's got to go in there. And then it's got to be big enough that you can get down in the pit if you have to service the elevator. People always right. wonder, like, why is the pit so big? I forget you. Someone's got to go down Somebody's in there. Somebody's got to get in there. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. And that's if you're doing that, that, yeah, the steel shot stuff is pretty, yep, steel, it's steel expensive steel and yeah, and heavy. It's really and heavy. heavy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But still that's about a ton. Those are just for them in and of themselves. That's a really, those aren't too expensive and they're, it's big equipment. So you're going to have a bigger price, but that's and, still and reasonable. Like, if that, if you went with an elevator and you're using steel grit, you're going to use steel grit 100, 200 times before it breaks down. So it's a little more expensive, but in the long run, it's going to pay off. You're going to recoup. You're going to pay off that elevator fairly quickly. If you're a higher production shop where you're using it, you're going to pay it off pretty quick. And what you're going to save by using that same media 100 times versus something you're only using five times. And there's just less of it to get rid of. The steel medias don't break down nearly as, as quickly, so they don't give off any dust. Other materials are, are breaking down if you use the worst being like a sand. If you use sand, you're going to, or black beauty, you're going to have 100 pounds of it. Then you have 100 pounds of dust and debris to get rid of. Steel grit, you don't. You just yeah. have that 100 pounds of steel grit. It's going to be 100 pounds of steel grit you're using again and again. So much less expense on getting rid of the, the waste as well. Yeah. And okay. So let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about I, years ago, I don't know what I was doing. I, we were trying to come up with a price, obviously, for hourly. Mm -hmm. People sometimes just want sandblasting from us. And we had to come up with a separate, 
you know, a lot of times we, if we're doing rims and stuff, we include the price of blasting in that. So we just give them a simple per piece price for rims and automotive parts and stuff. And we're, I'm trying to remember back when we came up with this, but if you have any insights on how to arrive at a, now we know that there's variables to where you live and how much media costs for you Mm -hmm. and, and stuff like that. But I know media definitely needs to be how much it costs you to rent a pot, how much media costs for you, how much media you're using an hour or in a quarter of an hour or half an hour. Are there any other insights that you've gained or gleaned from other customers that you've had, how they arrive at what their cost pricing is? The one, like you said, the big ones are media. What's the cost of the media? What kind of media you're using? So how much of it you're going to use? Obviously your steels are going to be, steel grit's going to be less because you're using it more often, but yeah, determine how much media is it going to take to complete that project or in that time frame, And in an hour, we're going to use X amount of media. The time it's going to take, you have your labor in there as well, right. which obviously is going to change depending upon where you're located. Media changes a little bit, the cost of media, not probably not as much as labor rate. Labor rate's probably a big one, depending if you're somewhere rural or you're, you're in right. Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in, in the big cities, big cities, you're going to get bigger labor rates than out in more rural areas. Yeah. And then you want to think about your cost of maintaining that equipment. It is Oh, it only took an hour, but all those hours at some point are going to add up. And at some point yeah. you're going to have to replace the filters in your dust collector. You're going to have to right. service your valves on your blast machine. And the hardest thing is starting out when you're new, because you, right. you don't have that. You don't have all that data that you've gotten over the years of, okay, in a year, I know I've replaced the filters in the dust collector. I rebuild the valves three times. So you can add up all those expenses and say, all right, hourly, this is what I'm going to have to make to cover all those expenses for the year. So starting out, there's a little bit of a learning curve and you're probably going to be on the lower side because you're trying to get the work. Underbidding jobs and then things take longer than you thought it was going to take. And yeah, damned, right? Or reduce on powder coating too. You have to, something isn't quite perfect or whatever, and you have to strip it and do it all over again. Uh So yeah. Or you're going to have a pandemic and the cost of dry powder is going to go through the roof. Like who'd have thought, <laughs> who'd have thought it would have oh my gosh. but yeah, that yep. one has been a shocker. So now we're in the price battle. It seems like everything's going up these days. So now's a good time to, to give it thought. Think about your pricing. Think about, are you covering your costs or are you profitable? If you're not, now's probably a good time to review that and increase your prices because we're never expecting it now. Yeah, we have here, and I'm not apologetic about it at all. No, it is what it is. Putting it out there. If you can't handle the pricing, don't come see me. (laughs) No, come to us and buy a blast room. Then you'll realize why that price was what it was. (laughs) When you see all the equipment it takes to do it properly, get a blast room, get an oven. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was really reasonable. We just, uh, yeah, we just decided in, in lieu of blasting, which is always needing more upgrades and stuff like that, or greater capabilities, we decided to invest in stripping capabilities, increasing our stripping capabilities more first, then c- coming back to Ross's dream of having a full on dust collection system. So that's been really informative for us to, to know more about that, because he didn't think that you could get something that was added on after you've built your blast room because most of the ones we've seen it's the guy owns the building and he's digging a trench and having it all 
Yeah, the mechanical reclaim you know. that, that's in the floor, done concrete work. So you're like, oh, that's going to yeah. be hard. Like you already have your room sitting there, although it can be done, it's much trickier cutting concrete, right. going under your room walls and doing yeah. it with it in place. But they don't all have to be like that. Vacuum right. systems, majority of them are above ground. You're yeah. just setting them there. Maybe That's you poke good. a little hole through your room to get the hose through. Not a big deal. Yeah. You have your trough in there. Even the elevator, if you keep it above ground, you, that like that elevator you saw in the picture, it's just lagged to the floor, to the concrete. So there's not much. You're cutting a little hole for that hopper that's inside to feed the elevator. The hole yeah. in the room. So it's not a big deal to add them after the fact. Yeah, that's awesome. I, we've looked at getting a bigger compressor. We've looked at mm. some of the other components to it and stuff, but I think that would definitely be one of the first ones that first things that we'd like to improve on the booth. And it's not too bad in there. We're not in there 24 seven, but mm. again, the whole point of spending the money on a blast system or having the perfect blast setup capabilities for your business is to, I think the lesson that I've learned now that we've already had it established is it wasn't enough to begin with. It should have been bigger than the capabilities. So you can grow mm. into it, I guess. Is, and it seems I don't, can't afford that or I, but really that's the attitude that you should take is you want something you can grow into or rather than be underutilized. Yep. And that it just doesn't seem, I don't think the mess, it could be a message that could be a bigger shout out in that sense. Yep. It's kind of um, like we tell people on blast rooms, what's your biggest part you're going to put in there? Are you going to any plan to expand? You think you'll have larger stuff coming in there? But the last thing you want to do is buy a blast room that just fits what you're doing and pigeonhole yourself and okay, now we can only blast that up. Oh, someone came in here with a trailer frame. Oh, it won't fit. Now we can't get right. that work. So you, we rarely ever have anyone come to us that says, man, my room's too big. <laughs> Last room's too big. I wish I could shrink it. If you have the space for it and the, and the budget, yeah, you'll you'll find a way to fill it. Yeah, it's exactly. kind of like having a shop. No one ever complains their shop's too big either. I have too oh. much space, too much floor space. <laughs> I know people share pictures on the internet about or in the groups or whatever on how big their un their buildings are, and I just I dream. I wish I could have that kind of a size. It, I think it's a chronic problem specifically in Hawaii because we are working with a 1% vacancy rate. <laughs> There's not wow. enough industrial space yeah. here and it, we're definitely in need of more options and stuff, but we keep praying the guy next door is going to croak oh. or... <laughs> <laughs> Or the other guy's going to go bankrupt or like, yeah. that's, I, yeah. sorry, I'm showing a side of myself I don't like to, but whatever. But yeah. that's a dream setup is to have this kind of dirty side of the business and mm -hmm. one building and then the powder coating side. Um, side. And that would just be the dream for us. Yeah. And we keep, I, I think that's, we're feeling out like, what are the blast capabilities here in Hawaii? There's not a lot of mobile blasting people and the one guy is just busy all the time and i keep like encouraging ross to think that being able to ha have bigger blasting capabilities to explore that side of the business but it's hard you have to get that business in order to scale it first when yeah. i'm wondering i'm off sometimes i wonder is the clientele even capable because it seems like the pricing for blasting although it works for us within the projects that we do just to straight up offer it it seems like the kind of clientele here i don't know if that's the rest of the world but they don't want to pay a lot of money or they don't have a lot of money to 
put towards they want the blasting done, but then they don't they want this low hourly too. And I'm like, we're not willing to go that low because it's great that you would be employing somebody with enough business mobily or here at the shop, but what's the we have to weigh out the risks or the how important it is for us. Yes. If we're facing a big job or whatever coming in, well then that makes sense. I it just I don't know if I see enough demand and enough type of the right type of clientele that could use, need this service and pay enough for it. The, the typical client is like a guy that owns a boat and wants his boat trailer done. Yeah. Uh -huh. People that own boats have no money because they put all their money in all the boat. And the guy yeah. with a yacht doesn't have a trailer. It doesn't come out of the water. The guy with the money, his giant yacht's just sitting in there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's usually that kind of client. And I just uh. don't, maybe that'll change in the future, but yeah, that's just always been our thought on it. And we used to be in the boat business. So it's, I know that kind of client. I know the kind of clientele. This has been awesome. What else do you get? You must get a lot of, I mean, you're Hawaii. Stuff's got to rust. Yeah. Everything must rust in that climate. Well, it does. You yeah. get a lot. When we used to have a blast facility for blasting. Did a ton of like porch furniture, wrought iron furniture and stuff that people yeah. want to have a blast and repaint cheaper than buying new. And uh, I would think in Hawaii, almost anything well, we're definitely in the right environment for rust, yeah. <laughs> for sure. What's happening now is, and I just got a, the guy came in earlier this week and he's from Texas. So we're getting a lot of transplants right now just because the economy and uh -huh. people moving and getting out of wherever they're at and moving somewhere else. A lot of millennials moving and stuff like that. And this guy shows up with a Hummer and he's got it all like, the exterior front bumper. He's got all the little customized parts that he had on the mainland bars and where you need to trick out the outside of a Hummer, right? Like it's escape from New York or something like that. Yeah. And it started immediately after he moved here, which he's only been here for six months. It, it's already rusting. And I don't think people understand that just because it looked great on the mainland and in a zero rust environment and then comes here, it's like like shock for this yeah. metal. And it's crazy because this has been happening to more than one customer that's come here and they just can't understand this thing was perfect when I left Texas and now <laughs> I've moved in Maui and driving it on these roads next to the beach or whatever and it's just completely rusting all over the place it's falling apart and they're just in shock that it's happened that fast but it does and i think mm -hmm. a lot of it is just the shock that the metal goes through whether it's a car body or underneath mm -hmm. the car or whatever or extra aftermarket parts it's it's crazy it just can't handle the change of environment i think it goes through this ptsd or something some kind of <laughs> metal shock or coating shock or something. I don't know what explains that, but I do notice that happening. Yeah. Especially if you're bringing something from those Texas, Arizona, Southwest, dry. Those just perfect conditions, nice and hot and dry and metal doesn't rust last forever. And we have the same problem in Pennsylvania. We have the lovely winter, you know, with snow comes a ton of salt on the road. Yeah. I think it's you know, worse there for you guys. Especially yeah, on now rims. Worse, what they used to put salt on the roads. Now they found like sodium chloride, their best friend, and liquid spray the roads, which just eats oh. through everything. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you're driving through a lot. If you're not washing it off, yeah, you just got all this corrosive salt under your car and spraying everywhere when it's all wet and it just rots them, rots them out. It's stuff that just doesn't exist in, in, the, in the Southwest in dry climates. Right. Yeah, I would assume so. And 
We had another guy come out. He lives in Hana. So Hana is mm. the, if you've been on Maui, it's the east side of the island. It's wet there all the time and very jungly, humid jungle kind of stuff. And I guess he had a classic car that he moved over here, was in the garage the whole time. He hardly ever used it, had chrome rims on there. Oh. So of course he moved out here and put it in his garage in Hana. And same thing in six months, the chrome was perfect when it left California, older chrome rims, but still mm -hmm. was perfect. And in six months time in the jungle, it has completely gotten black and corroded and peeling wow. and all that kind of stuff. And he's what happened? I'm like, well, you moved to Maui, you should move back. <laughs> we don't need any more people here. <laughs> but yeah, it is shocking when you see something just corrode so fast, so quickly yeah. and you mm -hmm. have to charge them all this money to, cause you got to blast it and start over yep. from the get. Right. So we can start corroding again. <laughs> yeah. That's like we, yeah. how we have to assess the pricing for, or even just that we want to take the job. Cause if they don't quite understand what the end result's going to be, even with a primer coat, you know, that rust is there no matter what, and uh -huh. it could be blasted away visually, but it's still on the lower, you know, what you don't see uh -huh. still there. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. You can't wash, put a pre, you can wash it away or inhibit it as much as you can. You can put a primer on there, but in the end, it's still going to come back. So we always tell them if they go that far with it and they want to restore it, pick a dark color. Don't pick white because you're going to see yeah. it faster. Yep. Yeah. yeah. This has been an, uh, thank you. Cause Isn't I it? didn't know much going in and yeah. I was, didn't want to sound like dummy, whatever, but <laughs> it's been great understanding how your business works and how, what products you have for growing your powder coating biz or your sandblasting abrasive. Oh yeah. That's what I wanted to ask you. So Ross always says it's supposed to be abrasive blasting, not sandblasting uh -huh. is for sand. Yep. So what is, give it's, me the deal. It's just the sandblasting is like the old school term for it. And uh, media blasting people call because that you're blasting with media and it can be varying kinds of media. So it's really just, yeah, abrasive, you know, air blasting. Yeah. Uh, media blasting and he's right the sand blasting is just what people it's a business that has a lot it, it's a niche that has a tremendous amount of nicknames for right. all the equipment even the blast machine it's a blast machine but people call it a blast pot or just a pot uh, the tank the vessel it's like all right. these weird names and then the sand blasting has just been stuck around forever when it was basically people use sand and now yeah. nobody really uses sand it's a good thing when you're doing your Google business page or you're doing something, trying to list yourself in a directory, all they ever have is sand blasting. They don't have abrasive blasting. Yeah. People are going to go on Google and they're going to look up sand blasting. Yes, I need exactly. something sand blasted. <laughs> and <laughs> people who are looking to get something sand blasted usually don't even realize it's not sand being used. You know, what do you mean? Oh, you don't use sand? Like it's sand blasting. No. <laughs> yeah. If Google is listening, yep, it's, it's abrasive really blasting. Sand blasting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I kept telling them the frustration that I'd have in terms of like domain, like what you want to be listed as in your website and everything like that. We kept battling back and forth about what to say we do, yeah. but yeah, pretty much it's, I've changed it to sand blasting, but our yep. logo still says abrasive blasting on it. But. Yeah. Yeah. We battle the same thing, keywords yeah. and ads and search engines. And what, <laughs> what are people, it doesn't matter what you call it. You really got to figure out what are people looking for? What are they searching? We can call it 
exactly what it is, but if they're not searching for it, they'll never find it. Right. People are, unfortunately, they're going to call it sandblasting. <laughs> I need a sandblaster. Do you need the machine? A blaster, oh, yeah. Or do you need the person that sandblasts something? <laughs> That's another good one. Right? Uh-huh. Yep. So where can, are you guys, do you guys do social media at all, or is it just the website? Tell me where to find you. It's titanabrasives.com. Yep. We're Titan Abrasive. We're just abrasive, no S. Okay. Everyone confuses that, abrasives, because abrasives are like the media, but we're just the guys who make the equipment. So we're just, yep, titanabrasive.com. We're also on, we're on a little social media. LinkedIn's pretty much where we spend okay. most of our time on, on LinkedIn. So there's a lot of always posting on there, videos and stories or case studies and about what we're doing and People can always reach us there or get us on the, get us on the website, shoot us an email, have a call anytime. People have questions. I'm always happy to help people and make sure they're getting what they need and doing the right job or just answering questions. What do you like to do outside of work? What, do you have any hobbies and stuff? I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but. No, uh, just, just say I'm like, you play it. <laughs> <laughs> go home and just blast random stuff. They were like, why are you blasting my car? I just, that's all I got to find something to blast. <laughs> and you like to travel to Maui too. Yes. On occasion. I, I, yep. Occasionally. Occasionally <laughs> come to Maui. <laughs> Have you gone to the, any of the other islands? Oahu and Maui. Yeah. Uh -huh. So been, cool. been to, yeah, I've been to Oahu and we, we have some, we do a lot with the military. So we have some equipment on Oahu, Pearl Harbor there and all on the military bases. Use a lot. Of, you know. Yeah. So, oh, I know our, our guys are always like, are you selling another piece to Hawaii? Hey, hurry, get Pearl Harbor. They're always lined <laughs> up to get on the plane to go out there for a service call. <laughs> yeah. Our, I actually had a good friend of ours, Ian Calietto from Calietto and Sons. I don't know if you, if they're your client or not, but they do a lot of work at Pearl Harbor ship repair, shipbuilding, mm -hmm. welding, and stuff like that. I had him on the show because he is trying to actually turn that whole area into actual shipbuilding and not just ship repair. They want to start. He wants oh. to change and have uh -huh. the, have Hawaii become the heart of shipbuilding, or at least another area, not just yeah. the East Coast, West Coast. And I swear to God, he's so determined. I think he's going to do it because it, it would mean so much to getting more people employed in the state. But not only that, but what's amazing is he wants to connect the history of Hawaiians and their navigation here. I mean, they were excellent navigators yeah. throughout the Pacific, not just mm -hmm. coming, finding their way to Hawaii in the early 1200s, 1100s, but to actually bring home the whole message that Polynesia were excellent navigators of the sea mm -hmm. and how that relates to them building ships here in Hawaii, which I think is a Kind of it makes everything sound so pretty and nice, but it's, yeah. but to be able to match that with the, so I, yeah. I hope he'll get there. I think he yeah, did. I hope so too. That'd be good yeah, for episode... too. Brings it full circle. Yeah, it All does. Navigation, you spent your time on, on the water and there, it's easy nowadays with a GPS, but I can't imagine paddling a boat out. Let's face it, why you're just a speck in the middle of the ocean. I can't right. imagine heading off to another island that might take you weeks, a month to get there. Like, whew, yeah, right. it's pretty yeah. wild. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, cool. yeah. Anyways, so that I hope he does get there. I think he was episode 42 or 43, somewhere in there. I think yeah. he, if you ever want to listen to that show, for sure. we yeah. talk about a lot of other things like government contracts on that show, but it, he has this big goal. And I, I, we were just talking about how he's getting to that. And every time I see him on, he's meeting with some Senator or going to Washington DC and stuff. So 
I hope yeah. he's getting there. Yeah. He's working it good. Yeah, he is. Anyways, it's been great talking to you today, Brandon yeah. Acker, president of Titan Abrasive. And we look forward to hopefully it'll come on. Let's keep talking about sound blasting. Yeah. And yeah. I'm sure there's lots of more topics we could talk about and, and continue on this conversation. So thanks yeah. for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I can come back anytime and talk about blasting. All right. <laughs> Aloha.